I invite you to turn to Romans 12 if you haven't already. We'll be looking at uh, verses 3 through 8. I don't know if, uh, I'd be curious, there's a little poll here. How many of you have ever watched the movie Pride and Prejudice? Let's see your hands. All right, not many guys, lots of girls. All right, yes, which one? Hey, you've got a true fan here. There's 17 different adaptations. How many have watched more than two adaptations of, oh, <laughs> they're all women, I think. So, oh, no, we got a man comfortable in his masculinity right over there. All right. You, there you go. There you go. So, uh, yeah, have you actually, question, have you watched the latest rendition, the latest adaptation? It's actually made in 2016. It was uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. No, oh, you watched it. We did. Was, yes, you saw it, Tom. I'm sure it ranked right up there with, like, Sharknado or something like that. But uh, there you go. Abraham Lincoln, the Vampire Slayer is in there. Yeah. Um, Zombies have feelings too, apparently. So a lot of prejudice towards zombies. Um, it's a great, great movie. Anyway, Jane Austen wrote that wrote that uh, that book back in the early 1800s, and, it, and it's a story of the pride and prejudice that was inherent and inbred in the class system of royalty and commoners in Great Britain, and it's. Obviously, a story that touched nerves because of so many adaptations of it. Not only the romance side, but the Pride and Prejudice side. And there's this moment when Elizabeth, one of the main characters, discovers that she herself, shocked by this, that she has pride and she has prejudice, which she never imagined. She always thought it was the other people. And uh, it, it's a great movie that, that shows, shows that playing out. And, and we have a story that we've been following in Romans that is about pride and prejudice. And what it is, is the church in Rome was not doing well. You had a group of Jews who had started to follow Christ. Well, they came out of their, you know, how do you not have this happen? I mean, it's difficult. They come out of being this chosen people, right, from the tribe or from Abraham, given this promise of, of having land and being this people that's called the people of God and given this promise that their nation is going to be the one that has the everlasting king and, and all the stuff that comes with it, the law, and, and they end up warping the whole thing and starting to just coast and cash in on, well, that's just who I am, that's my heritage, and they really gave up their relationship with God and were just playing the trump card of, I'm a Jew, and look at me, I'm all that. Not every Jew, but as a nation, that's what happened. And they come into the church, and they're bringing that attitude of superiority, of pride and prejudice. On the flip side, there's Gentiles who now start to follow Christ, and they're starting to come along and, and starting to throw their elbows. And they're like, well, wait a minute. God obviously rejected you guys, and he's now replaced you with us, and Israel's gone. The, the Gentiles are taken over, and, and now they're filled with pride and prejudice, and, and the church is just a wreck. It's a mess. And Paul starts to address that in Romans 10 and 11. You see it in Romans 1 and 2 and 3. But Romans chapter 10 and 11, and especially 11, Paul finally just, just kind of makes it real clear. He says to the Gentiles, look, you, you ain't nothing 
Like, the only way you got here is because God was punishing the Jews and created a way for you to get in. And it's only by your mercy. So quit thinking that you're all high and mighty. And then he says to the Jews, and, and you guys, you guys are even lucky that God will graft you in again because he cut you off. So mercy, it's God's mercy for the Gentiles, and he emphasizes that over and over, and he says to the Jews, it's God's mercy that you're even here. So everybody quit yapping and understand God's mercy is the only way we got here, which means if you understand God's mercy, he doesn't give us what we do to deserve, and so we are on our knees or literally in front of him, lying face down before the cross saying, thank you for your mercy. And it's really hard to look up, or it's really hard to look down at somebody when your face is in the ground, kneeling in honor, prostrate, in worship before your Savior. And Paul's saying, there's just no room for pride. There's no room for prejudice. How, how do you even look down on anybody when all you can see is God's mercy? You can't. So he gets into Romans chapter 12, and he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves to him as this living sacrifice, you know, offering of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, right? Then you'll be able to understand God's perfect, acceptable will, right? And, and, and he's saying, be transformed. I mean, no longer are you going to live in this pride and prejudice of you're all that. You now have a new way of thinking, which is, I am at the cross. I, I am Someone who has received mercy, that's all my, that's my story. That's all I know. That's my reality. I can't look down on anyone because all I'm doing is looking up at God. And then we get to verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 12, and he says this, By the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, and this is specifically to both the Jews and the Gentiles, Everyone among you to not think of himself, herself, more highly than he or she ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually, individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul comes and he says, look, it's, it's only by grace I'm talking right now. I, I'm, he's not even trying to place himself in, in any kind of sense of having pride. He's just saying, it's only by grace I'm able to say this. And he's like, you should not think of yourself more highly than you ought. You should be sober-minded, have sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, when it says measure of faith that God has signed, it's not talking about quantity, like God has given you a lot of faith and some others a little bit. It's talking about standard of faith. Standard of faith is different, right? Standard of faith is this is the, the standard God has given us, and our standard of faith is what? God's mercy. Our faith is rooted in God's mercy, therefore we are humbled before God and in this posture of permanent humility, and that's the standard how we move through the Christian life, and that 
Paul says, is the measure, the standard of how we start to look at each other. It's interesting, he says, I want us all to use uh, this. Don't think higher of yourself than you're not. Don't have pride, don't have prejudice, but be sober. Sobriety. It's an interesting word. Like, every culture, no matter where you are in or no matter what era you live in, every culture understands addictions to drug and alcohol. Everybody knows it. It's in Africa. It's in South America. It's in Europe. It's in Asia. It's been throughout history. Everybody understands what sobriety is. He uses this word, and it's brilliant. And he uses it in the sense of, I want you guys to quit being drunk on pride. Quit getting high on prejudice. Now, what's interesting, in our frame of mind, we would think, okay, yeah, chemical addictions and whatever that does, that's, that brings all kinds of destruction in life. And I just say that carefully because I know so many of us have come out or are struggling with that. And I get that. But what's interesting is we rarely think about how destructive pride is and that it's about as equal to the destruction that chemical, chemical addictions can make. You're drunk on pride. You're, you're wreaking destruction all over the place. The thing is, it's just cleaner. You have prejudice. You're destroying lives and families. It's just real clean. Be sober. How's your journey of sobriety going in pride? How's your journey of sobriety when it comes to prejudice? I mean, we, we laugh and joke about who's from what town. Wadsworth, Ritman, Barberton, Medina. I'm not going to say the jokes. We take pot shots at each other, and that's funny. I get that. That's all in humor. But there's real prejudice that goes on. There's real pride that can go on in a church this size. Just does. And we can find all kinds of really dumb things to get proud about. We're like factories of pride. We can find the weirdest things to be proud of. What we wear. Where we're from. I don't know. Our jobs, our education, it's just anything, everything. And we come in and we look at each other and we go, oh, ooh. Or criticize, pull people down so we can pull ourselves up. And he says, no, uh, a Christian is, is constrained to this standard of faith, of mercy. Not that we look at other people and go, and this is pride. Yeah, they got a lot of mercy. 
They need a lot of mercy. No, it's, oh, I need a lot of mercy. So he says this, be sober-minded. Think of yourself first and where Christ found you and what he's done in you. Start there. And let that be sobriety. And then start to look at others. It'll change how we look at people. And it's critical because he says two different things here about this. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, though many are one body of Christ and individually members of one another. He's saying, look, this sobriety is so important because you and I belong to each other. It's critical. You and I belong to each other. When someone starts following Christ, they are immediately brought into the family of God, into this body. Paul talks a lot more about it in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, this this concept of being part of the body. But he, he says the body has many parts, but it's just one body. And so just like the physical body has many parts, is one body, so we are many and yet we're one body. And, and he over, I love what he does over in 1 Corinthians 12 where he talks about you got the hand, you got the eye, you got the arm or the leg or the heart or whatever. And one body part cannot say to the other, I don't need you. It just doesn't work that way. And we don't even think about it. Like our bodies, we go throughout the day, and when our bodies are working fine, we don't even think about all the individual parts. I ripped off my fingernail, right, like two or three months back. I had no idea that I needed a fingernail. Like, I have banged this thing on so many different things without the finger. It hurts. Like, it's a small little thing. That little fingernail, I, I just bless that thing. I can't grow little thing, right? Be strong. You don't think you need, right? Anybody, like, go to the hospital recently? Like, I know Nick just got out of the hospital. He took out his gallbladder. Never knew he needed his gallbladder like he did. That thing hurt like crazy, right? I don't know. You, you think about these body parts. I don't know. Last night, we were at the, uh, the U.S. Men's National uh, Team Soccer 1, uh, beat Trinidad. Mm. That was beautiful. But one of the players there pulled his hamstring. Like, oh, yeah, he's on the ground. And it was bad because this guy was a good player, and you don't, you don't want to see that happen. But how many of us woke up this morning thinking, man, I'm glad I got hamstrings? Like, well, if you're older, you felt them, right? You're like, oh. And that's what happens in the body is we get this mentality that, especially the larger your church gets, oh, they don't need me. I don't need to be there. I'm not that important. This is a big body, right? Small body, you're like, oh, yeah, you're gonna, you're, you need every part. Big body, meh, no, not necessarily. I mean, what, what, is that? what does that come from? Like when we tell some of the tallest people here in the room, Roger Smith, I don't know, some of you guys that are tall. Oh, because you're tall, you don't need that part. You're too big. You've outgrown. You don't need all that. You got, you're so big, right? You wouldn't go up to them and say, give me your finger. Give me your spleen. You're so big. You don't need it. 
right? You, you don't say that. Why? Because it doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way in the family of God and in God's body. The problem that happens is when we start to think this way, it, it's not according to this. It's like, no, no, every person counts. Every person counts. If this church is your home, you count. So when you're not here, guess how the body functions? Not so well. Not so well. You count. You are this person that God has, I believe in the sovereignty of God and he has placed you, he's placed me here because he wants to build this body up and you have a distinct part of this body and I have a distinct part of this body. You know, I hear people say all the time, look, I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to be there. I don't need to go to church. Uh, you know, I can do this without the church. I'm just like, guys, when I read the Bible, I hear that. I just like, can I just be honest? That is so stupid. It is. It is absolute foolishness. I mean, have you read this? When I hear people say that, I'm like, do you read this? Christ says, No. No, no. Each person is an integral piece of the body. Everyone needs the body, and the body needs that person. It completely contradicts what God says. Our sobriety, grounded in mercy, is critical because we all belong to a body and we belong to each other. The other reason he says this is because we've all been gifted to serve in the body. And so he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So many people call it spiritual gifts, grace gifts, because it's when the Holy Spirit comes, he gives every Christian at least a gift, if not multiple gifts, to use to build up the body of Christ. And he says, if you have prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. If service, serving, if one who teaches in his teaching, one who exhorts in his exhortation, one who contributes in the generosity, one who leads with zeal, one, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And there's longer lists in 1 Corinthians. There's, there's more spiritual gifts than this. And the point is not making a list of, of spiritual gifts. The point is the fact that each person has been given a spiritual gift to use within the body. And if we're proud and if we're prejudiced, we either will withhold that gift, right? We, we won't want to serve some of these people. And, and that, that can happen. Like, we'll avoid people when God's saying, no, I gifted you for this person to, to serve this person. It, it's so critical we understand these gifts he's given us build up the body. He says, look, you can ask for gifts. I'll give you gifts. I may not give you a gift. He says, fan these gifts into flame, which means I believe everyone can see their spiritual gift become fanned into this roaring fire. Every single person here has a spiritual gift. Every single person who follows Christ 
But if we're drunk on pride, if we're drunk on prejudice, we may avoid serving people or letting someone serve us. Or we may start to think our gifts are better than their gift. Right? We, we start to go that way. I want this gift, or I think that gift, or I'm all that. I mean, that often happens even when you start to serve and you use a spiritual gift. One of the things that happens is, is God starts to move through you. I mean, there's no greater rush, there's no bigger buzz than the Holy Spirit anointing you to serve someone. And you see his love and his power come through you and literally impact somebody else's life. You're like, oh my like, he's here, God's doing something, this is awesome, right? It, it's amazing what happens. And then what happens is we start to think, oh, I guess I'm pretty big. Look at me. God's using me, right? We start to get proud about it, and, and we start to think, oh, wow, I guess I'm really the only one around here that hears God, finally. And, and and we start to get this God complex, and we start to get proud, and we start to, oh, it just goes sideways. We can just mess it up royally. But if we're sober-minded, rooted in mercy, we can have God use us over and over and over and over and over again. And we never start to think highly of ourselves. We just keep thinking highly of God. So there's a couple things here. God is making demands. God has made demands on your life and my life. One of them is he's saying, be sober-minded as you are connected to this body. This body needs you, and you need this body. If, if you're gone four weeks, six weeks. You come maybe once every two months. I, I, I don't know how to say this other than I, I don't think you understand the demands God has on your life. The, the Christian walk is one where he says, honor the Sabbath and get together because the body needs you and you need the body. And, and if we're gone and maybe here 12 Sundays out of the year, you're missing you are missing the demands God has on you. You're missing the ministry that can happen to you. you can miss, you're missing the ministry that God is wanting to do through you. God has demands on our lives. He does. Not only that, he has a demand and, and has gifted us Every Christian is gifted to serve. Every Christian. And, and if you haven't been taught, like, oh, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, we'll have a class here in the fall. It's coming up. Well, we can just walk you through that and help you figure out how you're gifted. And also, it's not only a spiritual gift, but just personality and wiring and talent and how this all works together. Because we don't want you to get into ministry purgatory where, where you get into a room and we shut the door and you hear the evil laughter, and you never get out, right? We want you perfectly matched where God's calling you. 
so that you're in a place where you see the Holy Spirit working through you. And we want to create a culture. It, it was actually continue to create it because it was here long before I got here. This culture, a healthy church does not elevate one gift above the other. It just doesn't. So which gift is more important right now? This one or, or the, the one over there where they're holding an infant? They're, they're chasing around a toddler and they're giving a, a parent's space to just refresh, recharge. That could, even this morning, change a couple's life, right? Like, which one's more important? Neither. They're both important. They're both necessary. And that's the culture we want to create here, is there's no one gift that's better than another. It just isn't. So this is my gift. Great. Whatever. We all have gifts, and there's no way this body goes forward without all these gifts. And there's no gift here that gets elevated. And if you'll find, yeah, I think you'll find with our leadership that those that have more public gifts are always esteeming the ones that are hidden because we know. And some of you may breathe a sigh of relief that you don't have to be up here ever right? You can just sit back and say, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to be up here. That's how God wires this whole thing. I do want to end with this. Um, Our church right now, we have uh, just of the adults who attend, 46% of those who attend are serving. We have over 500 different volunteer positions throughout the year. Some are short bursts, some are longer commitments. 46%, which is very healthy. If you throw in the Pray For Me campaign, we're 65% or 62% of our adults on a Sunday, average attendance on a Sunday morning that are connected and plugged in. I just want to say way to go. There's so many of you are serving, and many of you are serving in double ministries, uh, triple. And, and as a church, we actually have conversations with people saying, no, you're overcommitted. We're more concerned about your health here. You're, you're way out of balance. And we pull people back because it's not the point to do all of it. The point is to stay healthy. Don't say yes to everything. Let's just pray. Let me pray. Lord, uh, as we leave, would you... Um, Would you filter these words? Would, Lord, what is from you remain? Pray, God, as we walk out, we would see each other through those lenses of mercy. Lord, would you bind our church together even as we have grown large with lord would you bind our hearts together as one it is just, it's a miracle it's a supernatural thing only you can do lord would you release your gifts on us more of your power more of that gift of grace on us to serve serve each other exalt you in the middle 
Amen.